All right. All right. Let's do it. So we've been talking about how we increase our capacity really to host the presence of God. Um, so if you think about it, like, you know, when the Holy Spirit's really moving, there's different, there's different times where you really feel the manifest presence of God. Um, when that happens, like, the cry of your heart is like, more, Lord. Like, this is awesome. More, Lord. How many of you have felt that? Not like, maybe a little too much today, Lord. Like, no one's ever said that, right? No one's ever said that. We're like, this is amazing, right? There are people who, I mean, not just all of us, um, when you have these encounters with God where his presence is manifest, it's like things you've carried forever seem to have, like, evaporated. How many of you have, like, really been just, like, overcome by the presence of God and you're just worshiping her in prayer? And, like, when, you, when that finishes, it's almost like all the anxiety you had and the, the worries you had you came into that worship with or unforgiveness you had, it's like everything got set right in that moment. How many of you have ever had, like, stubborn unforgiveness and after a time of, like, manifest presence of God worship, it was gone. You were, there was just a lightness. Wherever it had its hooks in, got released. How many of you have felt that? And, and we're so, I mean, obviously, when you experience the presence of God, you, like, heaven starts to meet earth, and you're like, this is awesome. I don't ever want to live angry at people anymore or unforgiveness. You know, you, you want, you, you think, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to keep my heart clear in this state, right? It's so good, the presence of God. And so our heart is like, God, we want to increase our capacity for you, right? And the initial thing that happens when God's presence is manifest more and more is we start to want to tinker with all the wrong things. Like, we think that's the thing when it's not, right? So we'll say, like, man, what if we just did, like, a, what if our service was an hour longer? What if our, you know, what if the pastor only preached from the book of Acts? You know what I'm saying? Like, we start to think, like, let's try to make it happen by tinkering with things, when really it's us continuing to position our hearts in a certain way that increases the capacity for God, right? We could sing, a mighty fortress is our God every single Sunday and only that. And if our hearts are positioned, the Holy Spirit can move. Martin Luther had been dead and gone for like 500 years and he could move to the, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, our, it's a heart issue. It's how we position our hearts. That's how you increase your capacity for God. And so we've talked about, um, we've talked about how we position our hearts just on our own for, for years, we've kind of been talking about that. And I feel like we're in a point now as a church where our hearts are positioned toward God, and now we're trying to figure out how do we incre increase the capacity of that, right? Because you've got to start with your heart positioned toward God. If it's not, forget about capacity. Get your heart in the right position. But I feel like as a church, we're there now, at least collectively. I feel like we're there now, and so now we're talking about how we increase our capacity. Um, one of the things that we do is we, that we often talk about is abiding. You need time on your own, apart from Sunday service, to abide in God's presence. You and him. You foster a relationship with God. Two primary ways you do that are through being in the word, reading the Bible for yourself, and praying, talking to God. This is the basis of abiding. Now, if you're abiding because you feel guilty if you don't, like, abiding will never be fun. How many of you have been like, I didn't do my devotions today. I wonder if God loves me. Yeah. Oh, guilty. Right, that's, right? If my husband only brought flowers home because he thought I'd be mad if he didn't, they suddenly mean a whole lot less. You know what I'm saying? They take on a whole other, like, yucky meaning. 
God wants time with us. He wants to spend time with us out of relationship. And so that's the goal is I want to make time in my life, regular rhythms of abiding where I can be in God's presence, where I can foster a relationship with God myself. You need to be in the word when you abide because our, listen, we have vain imaginations about things. We tend to make God in our own image. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. We think we're doing the right thing based on our own heart, but the word guides us because our own heart does not get it right. How many of you figure that out? You've got to go to the word to understand who God is. The word is the revelation of himself to us. So you go to the word and you begin to realize who God is and it will correct your sense of right and wrong because there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's not right. It's crooked. And so he sets those crooked things straight when we're in his word. I would really encourage you, if you haven't set a regular either daily time or weekly time of abiding, you might start with weekly and then move to daily. Um, but I want to encourage you, start in the New Testament. Start in a gospel. In fact, I would encourage you, stay in the gospels until like Jesus is just so beautiful, you feel like you're going to go blind. Really, just get Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And then I think from there, it's, it's good to move on. But um, get a hold of what, who Jesus is in the Word. Every time I read the Gospels, I'm surprised again by stuff he says and does. Because there's a way that seems right to a man. <laughs> but it's not God's way. God's ways are so much higher than ours, you know, and how he, and how he deals with stuff. Um, and so you need to be in the Word, but then you also need to be talking to God, right? And you can use the Lord's Prayer. As, as a guide for that, you, you, you praise him and then you bring requests to him and deal with unforgiveness, all those kinds of things. Um, but one thing we talked about last week is also creating a time for worship. You know, taking worship from just what we do here together and bringing it into your personal life, creating a place of worship in your personal life. Um, I was really, I was in, wait, I was post-college before I realized, like, your devotional life didn't have to look like set a timer, read three chapters, and then pray for half an hour. You know, that's what I thought devotional life was. And um, so I ended up being in a small group with some women who were like, yeah, let's get together and do devotion. So I'm like, okay, we're going to read some chapters, and we're all going to say, here's what I need prayer for. Here's what I need prayer, like popcorn prayer, you know what I'm saying? And, then, and that's, that will be the devotions. Um, they put on worship music and they all laid on the floor and I was like, <laughs> we can do that? Like, that's exciting. We can do that? Like, we can just start worshiping God and just out of that just pour our hearts to him and that's exciting. I didn't know we could do that. But that was allowed. It was legal. Yes. So, you want to create a devotional life where you can, you can really connect with God. You need the word, you need prayer. But that can, t that can look a lot of different ways. You definitely won't worship in there. God inhabits the praises of his people. You want to have worship in there. We talked about if you want to increase your capacity for God, increase your worship. You'll never worship higher than you know him. So as you're walking things out, your worship is going to rise. Right? It's willing to say, like, God is faithful. But when you get that check in the mail that had to come that you didn't expect for this thing to get solved, then you're like, oh my goodness, God is faithful. I can worship him as faithful now in a whole different way. I knew that he was faithful. Now I know that he's faithful. You know what I'm saying? So my worship changes. We want to create space for worship in our lives apart from what happens here on, on, on Sunday morning. 
I mean, and he inhabits the praise of his people. You, when you're in this place of worship in your personal life, you're like, you're like carrying the atmosphere of heaven around with you. And people notice. And I don't mean because you're acting weird, because we don't need a bunch of weird Christians. You know what I'm saying? Who are doing stuff to be weird because they're like, I'm set apart, so I get to be as weird as I want to be. No, no. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just saying you're carrying the atmosphere of heaven and people notice. When you're carrying the atmosphere of this fallen world, people notice. Aren't there people, come on, be honest. There's people you see them coming and you're like, ah. Because you know what they carry. And they're going to tell you every terrible thing that happened this week. My, my brother's cousin broke his toe. And my, you know what I'm saying? Wah, wah, wah. Like everything's going to be like, oh. It, it's, oh. You feel heavy when you, it's not that you don't love them, you don't care about how they're doing. Come on. They carry all the broke. When people carry the atmosphere of heaven, man, you know it. You're changed by those encounters. That comes out of a life where we're fostering worship. Anybody ever have like worship cranked up in your car and you get out and you realize like you're having church and you walk into work and people are like, because <laughs> it doesn't just go away. You create like a whole atmosphere around yourself. It's sweet. Today I want to deal with intercession, how we increase our capacity for God. One of the ways we increase our capacity for God is by fostering intercession in our personal life. Intercession means the action of intervening on behalf of another. It's the action of intervening on behalf of another. When we talk about intercession, you are, you are a go-between, right? Christ is the intercessor for us. He is our go-between, um, but he invites us into intercession which means we get to intervene on the behalf of others. We get to intervene on the behalf of nations to see God move. And so it's different than just praying the Lord's Prayer where it kind of revolves a bit around your life. Intercession is like, I'm going to you with your heart for other things. I'm going to God with his heart for people. It's a little bit like the Psalms. The Psalms are really interesting. They're the only book in the Bible where it is, we are praying God's word back to him. He inspires the writing of them and their prayers to him. Intercession is much like that. We are getting God's heart for what he wants to do in someone's life or what he wants to do to a nation or what he wants to do in a political figure or what he wants to do in a, right, in a Supreme Court. Or we get the heart of God on something and we begin to go after it in prayer. We're praying his heart back to him. I don't know why, and I think it's a bad plan, but it's his plan, so it must be good, right? But for some reason, he decided that working in this world, he would partner with us. Don't you ever want to, like, God, just do it. God, you, you go be a missionary to the nation. Just, just have, let everyone in the world have a vision of Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, we kind of just bypass us. Have you ever felt like that? <laughs> like, just bypass us. But this is not his plan. His plan is to work through his people to accomplish his will. That is his plan. And that's the primary way he's going to do everything. Occasionally, 
you'll hear someone like in the Muslim world, you're hearing a lot of this right now, people who are in remote areas of the Muslim world where there is no missionary are having visions of Jesus. And honestly, I feel like if there were enough, enough missionaries, they would be hearing it from a person. But he's, there's so many people crying out to him right now. He's getting missionaries to them, even miraculously getting missionaries to them. There just aren't enough. He wants to work through people. He wants to work through people to accomplish his will. So in intercession, we join with his heart for something. Now, listen, it's a powerful thing when you decide you're going to give yourself over to intercession. It's more than just like, hey, God, I really hope the Somali people come to you. God, I really hope people in Zanzibar come to you. When you give yourself over to intercession, how many of you have felt like there's like, there's like a burden we call it like the burden of prayer comes on you. And it's almost like, how many of you have like begun to pray for a person or a country or something and you just begin to weep? Like something deep begins to burst out of you and you're like, where did that, where did that come from? It's like God is sharing his heart with you and not, we feel just an inch, right? We feel just an ounce of what he feels and it's, you're overwhelmed by it. How many of you have felt that? Intercession. Now, people talk about the gift of intercession, but listen, I read the Bible, it talks, it invites all of us into intercession. Not just a few people. We are all invited into intercession. Where you can take time and say, God, I just want to partner with your heart in something. And sometimes it may just be, it may not be overcoming, but I'm telling you often, if you will have a pattern of giving yourself over to intercession, it'll start happening more and more frequently where you are actually getting the heart of God for something, for someone. Um, and it's pretty cool. Now, yeah, it works too. Now listen, here's the key for intercession. When it's time to move on to the next thing in your day, you've got to leave that burden with Jesus. <laughs> right? Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes you meet inter like, intercessors are like, oh. Sometimes you meet intercessors and they're like, it's like they're carrying their weight of the world on their shoulders. That is not, he says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. When you come in intercession, you feel that burden, you feel that heart that God has for someone or something. And as you finish up praying, now you give it back to him and say, God, I, I cast this burden back on you. Right? Now, replace it with your joy and your peace. Come on, are you with me? Anyone ever get bogged down in a recession? You're like, man, I don't know if I can live like this. Yeah, you can't. You actually can't function very well like that. Carrying the heaviness of the weight of the world, you can't do that. So you cast that burden back to him. Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not even know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Okay, pretty cool. So, there's times I don't even know how to pray. You, we might think we have a plan for our neighbor. God, if you would just, if you would just do, right? Have you ever prayed like strategies to God? God, I think that they would be won over to you if you would just do this, this, and this, right? 
once you get past that superficial point, you realize you really don't know. <laughs> and so you begin to pray, and what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to well up within you. And sometimes you can't even put it into, like, words. Sometimes it comes out through, like, your prayer language, speaking in tongues. But sometimes, man, you don't even, it's just groans. How many of you ever just started groaning? And you think, I, I hope our neighbors cannot hear. Did I close the It can be even, you almost feel like embarrassed a little bit. Like the Holy Spirit begins to pray through you and it's like intense. How many of you be honest and say, I, that has happened to me. That has happened to me, right? These groanings that can be uttered and you begin to feel the heart of God in a way you've never felt it before. It'll change your life. Half of you look really scared and... <laughs> Half of you are taking notes. I'm not sure to think about that, but it's a cool thing when the, God of, when the God of the universe says, let's partner together on this. Hey, friend, I'm so glad you have a heart for that too. Let me share a little bit of what I see, a little bit of what I feel with you, my friend. Friends intercede. Slaves don't intercede. Servants don't intercede friends intercede, right? When you have the view of yourself as like the slave of God or servant of God, never good enough, that kind of, you know, not son, not daughter, not friend of God, you can't even go there. Friends intercede. If, um, if Dana gets picked up this week for second degree murder, <clears throat> and she's getting arraigned on Tuesday, um, some of us would make our way down there and be like, we know Dana. Dana didn't do this. Dana, did you do this? Dana did not do this. <laughs> Dana didn't do it. I know Dana, right? I would intercede on her behalf. She's my friend. I know her. I'm going to intercede with the judge. Give her bail. We know her, right? Friends intercede. Friends join together to do that kind of stuff. Not strangers, not your employees, right? <laughs> Friends do that. When God is sharing his heart with us, sons and daughters, it's like there's a friendship, right? You're going from like son and daughter who has to be told to make their bed to son and daughter who can help bear the weight of what needs to happen for the family. Are you with me? That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Okay, I want to show you some things from Moses' life, just as quickly as I can, that help us with intercession. I'm going to read you a few verses from intercession, and then, um, and then we'll go to Moses very quickly. Let me just say, it's more fun to pray with God than just to him. It's more fun to pray with him than just to him. Yeah, okay. James, James 5.16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We should pray more. 1 Timothy 2, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. To live dignified, quiet lives for all people to be saved. What is he saying? Let supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made 
so that these things can happen. That's a cool invitation. I didn't hear him say, those of you that are feeling it, I'm going to ask that you make intercession. It is a call to the church to pray, to intercede, make supplication, living a life of thanksgiving, because he knows you've got to leave the burden there. Right? Yeah, okay. Let's go to Moses real quick. Moses learns how to be a friend of God and how to get the heart of God and how to intercede. Um, and it's, there's so much we could go to in his life. We won't have time today. Uh, but just really quickly, let me just say, if you don't know the story of Moses, um, the people of God who've been called and been set, set apart to be his chosen people, they are slaves in Egypt. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years now. And at some point, people begin to remember like, oh, our God is powerful. We should cry out to God. <laughs> and they cry out to God and what happens? He sends a deliverer. Um, the Pharaoh is killing all the male children, but he allows the life of Moses to be spared. He gives his mom some ingenious ways, and his life is spared. Why does Moses come at this time? Because he will begin to cry out to God. And then what happens, um, he ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house. At 40 years old, Moses realizes, my people, the Israelites, are being mistreated. And he kills an Egyptian who's beating an Israelite, thinking he's going to be the big deliverer for the people. But that was not God's way. And so at 40 years old, he ends up getting chased out of town. And he ends up on the backside of the desert. So now imagine, people cried out 40 years earlier for a deliverer. It's 40 years in. And the deliverer screwing it up. Forty more years go by. Moses is 80 years old. The people who originally cried out for the deliverer are surely dead. They're living a hard life as slaves. Keep that in mind. Exodus 2 verse 23. Years passed with Moses on the backside of the desert. He's 80 years old now. The king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Now is the time. Moses is ready at 80. The people who originally cried out to God, who set it in motion, they're gone. They never got to see the deliverance with their own eyes. Man, if you're going to have a life of prayer or session, you've got to decide you're partnering with God. It's not about us. Because there's things that you'll set in motion you'll never get to see the end of. You'll never get to see, like you don't get to benefit from the fruit of it. You're partnering with God because you have his heart, not because it benefits you or because you get to get goosebumps at some point. You know what I'm saying? The people who initially cried out to God for the deliverer might have thought their prayers were never heard, but they were the ones that set it into motion. Are you with me? Every time you pray, it is powerful and effective, unless you've been mean to your wife, guys. <laughs> That's the only caveat. I'm just going to leave that there. 
That's the only time he says, I will not hear your prayer, right? Um, but listen, you've got to know when you are praying and you are crying out to God, it is powerful and effective. You can't look at what's happening to know whether or not your prayer has been heard. So, it's time. So God calls up Moses. He says, it's time, Moses. Moses is like, he, he was raring to go at 40, at 80. He's like, mm-mm. I'm not going. And he comes up with several excuses, one of which is he doesn't think he's a very good speaker and all this kind of stuff, right? So finally, Moses goes to Egypt, and Pharaoh does not let the people go. They have to go through all kinds of rigmarole, the plagues, and that, right? If you know the story, all kinds of things have to happen. Finally, um, Pharaoh lets God's people go, and on the day he lets them go, they are like throwing their silver and gold at them. Leave, leave, leave take our wealth. It's an amazing deliverance. And through the 10 plagues, they've seen the miraculous work of God. Right? And then he has to part the Red Sea because the Egyptians come after him. Egypt is the most powerful empire in the world at the time. The Red Sea opens up for the Israelites to walk through. When the Egyptians come with their horses and chariots, what happens? The sea no longer parts and they drown. So within a course of about a week, they've taken all the wealth, or most of the, much of the wealth, of the greatest empire on earth, and their entire army's been destroyed. The greatest empire on earth. That's a lot of miracle. That's a lot of miracle. And within days, well, it's a little, you know, into months, Moses goes up to the mountain to talk to the Lord for 40 days. And when he comes down, what's happened? All the gold that God gave them, it came from God. He released it into their hands. They have melted that stuff down and they have made a golden calf and they are worshiping the golden calf and doing other very naughty things. Worshiping the golden calf. The golden calf wasn't at the Red Sea. The golden calf wasn't in Egypt delivering them. They're worshiping this golden calf. Moses comes down and he's like, oh, this is really, really bad. Exodus 32, 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They've made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. But the Lord replied to Moses, no, I will erase the names of everyone who has sinned against me. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. Right? So he's like, I'm going to have mercy. He's like, at least erase my name. I was with you. <laughs> I have an alibi. <laughs> I was with you. At least erase my name. He's like, no, I'm going to erase all their names right? Because I'm going to finish the thing I started in them. Um, but the sin's going to have to be accounted for. It's going to have to happen. Later on in Numbers 14, 5 through 24, we see a change in Moses. He's like, do not destroy these people. A people made for your name and your glory. I can't read it because we're going to run out of time. I can't read it all, but these people were made for your name, for your glory. Nations know these are your people. If you destroy them now, what will people think of you? You can't do it, Lord, right? So Moses is interceding for the people. And at this point, he's not like, destroy them, just erase my name. 
He's like, come on, take it out on me if you have to. Right? He's gotten a heart now for what God's vision was for these people to make it to the promised land. Really quickly, I just want to say, one thing you're going to have to guard your heart, and you can guard your heart with a word on this, is sometimes you begin to get the heart of God, people you haven't cared about, you begin to love very deeply. People you haven't had compassion for, you begin to love very deeply. And I have seen friends of mine who begin to get the heart of God, they're growing close to the Lord, they begin to um, discount the word of the Lord because they begin to love people and they're like, well, God couldn't send people to hell. They begin to feel how much God loves people. He's given them his heart, which is love and compassion, and they begin to feel like, they feel a little bit of his love and they're like, oh, I love people, therefore there can't be a hell. I'm compassionate, therefore God will not make people account for sin. How are you doing? So just know, the enemy takes everything good God does, this wants to twist it around. It is appointed to man once to die, and then comes judgment. And he's willing that none should perish, meaning in this life, he wants to mobilize us so that all those who would be saved would be saved. All those who would call the name of the Lord would be saved. But sometimes we begin to get just an ounce of God's heart, which is so much more love than we've ever felt. We get an ounce of his compassion, which is so much greater than us, and we start to feel like we are more compassionate than God. Like we are more loving than God. Let the word be your guide. Let the word be your guide. As he gives you his heart, and you begin to feel what he feels, run those feelings through the prism of his word. Or we can begin to feel like we are better than God, which is exactly what's, what's happening. When people feel like they're more compassionate than God. How many of you see what I'm talking about? Yeah? So just guard your heart in that and guard your heart with the word. As he begins to share his heart, be loyal to him above all things. Are you with me? As he begins to share his heart with you, be loyal to him above all things. And it'll keep you straight. All right, okay. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's good. Fine. But some of you know. You know, okay. Deuteronomy 9. Um, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, it's Moses' five last sermons to the people before they cross over the promised land. Moses is going to die. He's not going to get to cross over into the promised land. And here's what he says to them. Moses, who's been the intercessor, don't destroy them, Lord. Don't destroy them. Deuteronomy 9. Then as before, I threw myself down. He recounts a little bit of the Mount Sinai event. Then as before, I threw myself down before the Lord. This is verse 18. For 40 days and nights, I ate no bread and drank no water because of the great sin you had committed by doing what the Lord hated, provoking him to anger. I feared that the furious anger of the Lord, which turned him against you, would drive him to destroy you. But again, he listened to me. The Lord was so angry with Aaron. <laughs> Just a little shout out to Aaron. I'm sure he appreciated that. The Lord was so angry with Aaron that he wanted to destroy him too. But I prayed for Aaron, and the Lord spared him. I took your sin, the calf you had made, and I melted it down in the fire and ground it to dust. Then I threw the dust into the stream that flows down the mountain. You also made the Lord angry at, here's a list, Tiberia, Massa, Kibroth, Hatava, 
And at Kadesh Barnea, the Lord sent you out with his command to go up and take over the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to put your trust in him to obey him. Yes, you have been rebelling against the Lord as long as I have known you. That is why I threw myself down before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. For the Lord said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy them. They are your own people. They are your special possession, whom you have redeemed from Egypt by your mighty power and your strong hand. Please overlook the stubbornness and the awful sin of these people and remember instead your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you destroy these people, the Egyptians will say, the Israelites died because the Lord wasn't able to bring them to the land he had promised to give them. Or they might say, he destroyed them because he hated them. He deliberately took them into the wilderness to slaughter them. But they are your people and your special possession, whom you brought out of Egypt by your great strength and powerful arm. So think about this. Moses has these conversations with God, but who gave him that heart to see these people as his special possession? God did. So he's like, man, this is really bad that I did, but I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to speak to God the thing he's already spoken to me. Moses, early on, is not super happy with these people. All the way he struggles because they're terrible to Moses. Horrible. They grumble, complain about everything. They're so petty um, the whole time. But as he goes on getting the heart of God for these people, he starts saying, hey, they're your special possession. I mean, at first, God's having to convince Moses, go to Egypt. These are my special possession. Go and be a part of this. He's like, no, 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 no. By the end, he's like, Lord, these are your special possession. Will you not act? Will you not? What has happened? God has given Moses his heart. So many of these conversations between God and his people, or maybe his special prophet or whoever, they're for our benefit so we know the heart of God. Abraham wasn't the one who really wanted to save Sodom and Gomorrah if there was any righteous. God starts the conversation so we know his heart, that he would have saved it if there was any righteous, but there wasn't. So we know he was merciful. Do you see what I'm saying? If you will give yourself over to intercession and increase your capacity for hosting the presence of God, which you'll see in your personal life and we'll see here as we worship together, um, if you will give yourself over to intercession, you will find that your heart begins to fundamentally change. You're going to watch the news different. When you watch the news, you're not going to think those people and that people. Are. You're going to start to be like, oh, Jesus, they need you. Man, they're so blind. Man, they're so deceived. But you can bring it. But you can bring up truth. How many of you are you with me? You don't look at what's happening in the world and think, oh, the sin is going to hell in a handbasket. Why doesn't Jesus just come back and judge it all, right? I see people post things like that on Facebook all the time. They haven't got the heart of the Father. If you want to see people judged, which means they go to hell, you have not gotten his heart yet. I'm not saying there isn't a hell. There definitely is. But it's his heart that none should perish there. As we begin to allow ourselves to part with him in intercession for our neighbors, for coworkers, for friends, for our kids' parents, the play dates, whatever it is, um, as we partner with God, our heart fundamentally shifts. It has a capacity to feel and to see things the way that God sees them, which is always about restoration. 
It's always about life coming. It's always about turnaround. It's always about salvation. It's always about healing. It's never about, hmm, you're going to get your comeuppance. <laughs> like, it's never that, right? We do that out of fear because we don't know who we are. Because we feel insecure, like, all oh, these things are happening. What does that mean for me? Listen, if you're in God's hands, it means nothing for you. He's already ordered your steps. How are you doing? Okay. Here's the deal. Most, most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. And we have to get to a point where in our repentance and our prayer, we don't just do enough so we have our daily bread. We need to break through until we see kingdom. Every single person should have a hunger to hear the voice of God. Every single one of us in this house, as for walking with God, we should have a hunger to hear the voice of God. We should have a hunger as sons and daughters to partner with our Father to see his kingdom come and his will be done. If you would stand. Worship team, come on up. Prayer team, come on up. Listen, as I talk about intercession, if there are things that came up in that time, pray through those things during this time of worship. For some of you, I talk about intercession or making time of intercession, and you just feel overwhelmed by it. Like, oh, one more thing. Listen, take that to the Lord because he's going to reorder some things in your life so that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you thought about it and you thought, well, I believe God works that way through people, but you felt like I don't know that he would do that through me, right? Which is unworthiness popping up. That's identity. Let God work that out in you. You need to know who you are in him. And you need to know that he's made a place for you at the table that's every bit as big and prominent as the person you're sitting next to. He's invited you to his table. He will share these things with you. I don't know, other things may have popped up for you. Maybe there's things you're carrying, maybe sickness in your body that you just need prayer for, things that are heavy for you. Let's deal with those things. You might be in this house today and you know you are far from God. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day. Today's the day. Come on. I would encourage you, there's folks you can pray with on either side here. There's folks you can pray with in back there. Gary and Leonard are in back there to pray with you. Let's take some time to worship God and to pray. If you need prayer, you go get it for any reason. You go get it. Let's do, let's do our work with the Lord today. Amen. Don't leave the way you came. Every time we encounter him, we should have a goal to say, I want to be more like you, changed, more like the image of your son. Amen?
folks are still getting prayer if you need prayer you can get prayer from one of the prayer team or every believer in the house has the kingdom without measure so you find any other believer get prayer if you need it thank you father thank you father let him speak to you this week about enlarging the place of your heart for him increasing your capacity for him in worship and intercession Don't be afraid of the intensity of it, you know? Sometimes I think that feels out of our control if things are intense, but you know what? Sometimes when God comes in your room, it gets intense. Let him do what he wants to do. Let him create in you what he wants to create. He's the potter, we're the clay. Let him do what he wants to do. It's always good. (laughs) It's always good, he's good. Amen, amen. Would you pray with me before we go? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. (laughs) Amen. 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 God bless you. Um, some of the stuff we need to do, I know there's some stuff in the parking lot, moving some of the, um, a couple of the barriers. We have a turnaround. And then also I think we're taking the, maybe the scaffolding downstairs, make room for chairs. But if you can give a hand, um, we need some hands that should go pretty fast. We've got to go. God bless you.